Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Good evening and welcome to the History of Alchemy podcast. My name is Travis Cow. And I'm Pete Coleman from the Bohemican podcast. So today we're going to talk about Sinesius, who lived from 373 AD to 414. And he was a Greek bishop of Ptolemais, which is in modern-day Libya, after about 410, so the last four years of his life. He was born of wealthy parents. And the interesting part is that they claimed descendant from kind of the Spartan kings or like royal family who supposedly founded Cyrene at Balagre, which is now Baida, near Cyrene, which is, you know, in Libya now. He was born somewhere between 370 and 375, not really sure. Well, still in his youth in 393, he went with his brother Euphysus of Alexandria, where he became the enthusiastic Neoplatonist and disciple of Hypatia. Between 395 and 399, he spent some of his time in Athens, in addition to being a bishop, he's now mostly known for his philosophic ideas and poetry. So in 398, he was chosen by an envoy to the imperial court in Constantinople by Cyrenians and the whole colony, which was, you know, kind of Roman, Byzantine uh, at that time. So he went to the capital in occasion of the delivery of the Orum Coronarium, like gold crown, basically, and his task was to obtain tax remissions for his country. In Constantinople, he obtained the patronage of a powerful praetorian uh, prefect known as Aurelianus. Senecius composed and addressed to Emperor uh, Arcadius a speech entitled De Regano, full of topical advice as to the studies of a wise ruler, but also containing a bold statement that the emperor's first priority must be a war on corruption and a war on accepting barbarians in the, into the Byzantine army. So his, his three-year stay in Constantinople was kind of rough. He did have a lot of free time, though. It was, it was there where he had free time to kind of write some of his works, like his poetry and his philosophical ideas. And Aurelianus succeeded in granting him the tax remission for Serene, uh, also the exemption from curial obligations for him. But then Aurelianus fell in disgrace, and Senecius lost everything. But later, Aurelian returned in power and restoring all the grants to Senecius. So the poet, Senecius, then composed Egyptus Siva de Providencia, an, an allegory in which the good Osiris and the evil Typhon, who represented Aurelian and the Goth Gaians, uh, which were basically like ministers under Arcadius, they, they kind of strive for, mas- for mastery and... Um, the question of the divine permission of evil is handled. In 402, during an earthquake, Senecius left Constantinople to return to Serene. Along, with, along the road, he passed through Alexandria, where he returned in 403. He married and lived before returning to Serene in 405. The following year was very busy for Senecius. Uh, his major concern was the organization and defense of Serene from the yearly attacks of neighboring tribes. This is interesting because then in 410, Senecius, whose Christianity had then not really been pronounced, we mentioned he was a Neoplatonist before, um, he was popularly chosen to be the bishop of Ptolemais. 
and he kind of hesitated a long time about this on you know for obvious reasons um, but he ultimately like ultimately accepted and he was consecrated by Theophilus at Alexandria uh, yeah so one thing that he insisted on was that he kept his wife he also expressly stipulated for personal freedom to dissent on the question of the soul's creation because remember that's very different in neoplatonic kind of philosophy a literal resur- resurrection so as in that's kind of a core tenet of christianity but he you know he let people decide for themselves whether you know how they took that and then the final destruction of the world uh, which you know again neoplatonists have different ideas there but at the same time he agree- he agreed to make some concession to popular views in his public teachings so he he was i mean there, he was kind of a neoplatonic bishop but um he you know tried to compromise as best as he could and his tenure of the bishopric was troubled not only by domestic bereavements like his three sons died basically in you know within three years from each other and also you know the the country kept being invaded by you know neighboring tribes and um but he he did a pretty good job of repelling them and you know he's kind of a, a competent military organizer and all that so kind of thinking thinking him as a man of the cloth but with a sword because he he, mm-hmm. he was still involved in military operations and he had a really big investment in making sure the barbarian hordes did not take over uh, take over the area like he had seen in other places. Um, yeah, especially yeah, North, Northern Africa at that time must have been pretty rough to the to Wild West. Hold yeah, hold <laughs> yeah. on to power. So it's thought that he died in fourteen in four fourteen. Now his many sided activity, which is basically kind of we now know through his letters, it's it's pretty interesting because he does he does kind of mediate between Neoplate, Neoplatonism and Christianity a lot and. You know, this makes him for really interesting reading, just on his theological views. And the, but also, I mean, we wouldn't bring him up in this podcast if he didn't have some kind of scientific interest, um, especially when he writes letters to Hippatia, his his mentor. Okay, in one of these letters is the earliest known reference to a hydrometer and by a work on alchemy, which basically takes the form of a commentary on Pseudo-Democritus, who we did an episode on. Um, and that's why, that's actually how I heard about this guy in the first place. One really cool thing that I actually kind of skim, skimmed slash read over was his treatise on an astrolabe. Um, and Travis, what is an astrolabe again for some of our listeners? Yeah, we, so we've talked about it in several podcasts. It's kind of this, it's this disc, it, it could be a sphere, but it's basically a disc that you align with some celestial body like a star or something and it will give you the positions of the planets and it can even tell you what time it is it can tell you kind of where you are so it's like a it's like a compass a you know not a magnetic compass but you know a compass where where you can tell your position he wrote on that explaining and he kind of improved on some of the ideas and it was really interesting. And in fact, in, in his writing, it's to paraphrase one thing that I wrote down here from that is it makes it clear that arithmetic and astro- astronomy are to be considered absolute truths. Like he's a fan of Pythagoras, for instance. And he hopes to, with writing that, he hopes to kindle a love of, of astrology to gain knowledge. And he writes a lot about, okay, so you need to know astronomy, you know, once again, to know astrology. So he, he constructed an astrolabe, actually, for a friend in Constantinople. He's also known for an amusing spree- speech in praise of baldness, which is a reply to in praise of hair. He also published an essay on Dio Chrysostom, a late first century sophist philosopher like Synesius, who uses this essay to explain his cultural idea. And his main work in these years was The Egyptian Tale, or On Providence, which was, I think we mentioned that, it was published in 1402. And this is basically like a romanticized account of his yeah, trip to I'm Constantinople, sorry. in which two of Arcadius's ministers are likened to the Egyptian gods Osiris and, and Seth. 
for those of you that don't know what a hydrometer is, so which I had to look it up too, but it's it's basically an instrument used to measure gravity or kind of like relative density of liquids. So it has kind of a float in it, and then basically how much that thing floats, you can tell how dense the liquid is. So, you know, and it's, it's always compared to water, like water is the base. So you put a float in a thing of water, you see how much it floats, and then you put it in a different liquid, and if it floats more, it's more dense than water. If it floats less, it's less dense than water. So I, I could probably see this as, as, as water being used, as you said, as a, as a base measurement, yeah. but also maybe some other viscous liquids could yeah. also be measured, right? Yeah, so if you put a viscous liquid in, the float would just float more. So you're like, okay, so it's denser than water. Pretty interesting thing. First time that was mentioned. Um, yeah, the, the, the alchemy thing, I looked that up on what his thoughts were, and basically he is just commenting on pseudo-democritus. So um, he clearly has some lab experience, and he's inter- interested in science, which is enough to get him on the show. But um, yeah, I didn't see any really original thought from him, which... Maybe it's out there, and if, if my listeners know more than I do, by all means, let me know. So the takeaway from this is that he was more of a Neoplatonic Christian of the time that was able to bring oh. some of his measurements to, to, to bear when it came to uh, his belief that, that there was a, a, a set place for scientific belief. Yeah. Um, what got me interested in him was that I read that there was an alchemist that was a bishop. That was kind of my spark. So I started looking him up and... And um, it's it's hard to get his own original thoughts on alchemy, but he he did comment on pseudo Democritus. So well, it sounds like he also he stuff. also knew the right people at the right time. He was able to dictate what he wanted out of this. A bishop married to a woman, and able to keep his wife. That was probably avant garde mm-hmm. at the time, yeah. and then able to kind of dictate where he wanted to go. Uh, some of uh, you put him in a in a different place in a different time, speaking to his flock as it, as it were to use Neoplatonic constructs. He might have been sent out of town on a uh, sent out of town on a rail. I mean, uh, it, it it really kind of uh, would have probably ruffled some feathers at a different time. But maybe at this time and his power, he yeah, had and, it, it, and he was okay. Even from birth, like you know, he was born to the nobility of of uh, what is now Libya, basically. And so, I mean, he was his parents claimed that they were direct descendants from that Spartan royal family. So, um, no matter what life he chose, he probably would have had some some kind of sway or, or, or some, some influence there. But um, it's interesting. He was in Alexandria at the right time, like, you know, just beginning of the 5th century, basically. And uh, his, his wife was a, a pretty strong Christian, so that was kind of interesting. So that might have been the, the key to him kind of compromising here and there, you know, the missus pulling him aside, going, hey, you know. <laughs> All right, so thank you very much for listening. Thanks. You've been listening to the History of Alchemy podcast with Travis Dow and Pete Coleman. For more information about this episode, other episodes, and other information about alchemy, alchemists, and related subjects, visit historyofalchemy.com. Find us on iTunes, subscribe, review, and don't forget to rate us. We'd love to hear from you. Send your comments, ideas, and corrections to podcast at historyofalchemy.com or get in touch via Facebook on the History of Alchemy podcast page or Twitter at Alchemy Podcast. Tune in to our sister podcast all about the Czech Republic, Bohemican, which is also available on iTunes or on Bohemican.com. Until next time on the History of Alchemy podcast, thank you for listening. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 